our playoffs start this weekend. So wish us luck. Hopefully we, uh, hopefully we get rolling here. Well, yeah, it'd be great to see you down in Orlando too a little bit later this year. And uh, um, I don't know if we're that good. We'll, we'll yeah. see. What's up, everybody? Welcome back here on another episode of You Think, presented by Audiorama and Body Armor. Um, a lot going on. We have started tackle football playoffs. I told you guys last week that I'd give you an update. We had our first playoff football game Saturday morning. Uh, we won. We didn't play uh, very well, which was disappointing. We had been really getting better week in, week out. I mean, we won. we won pretty handily, but as you guys have heard me say around here, like the wins take care of themselves. So like we won just cause we were better than the other team, but we're going to have to play better throughout the rest of the playoffs. So our, we're back to practice uh, tonight and we got to get back to work. We had some uncharacteristic, you know, mistakes and turnovers and just, you know, just, you know, again, they're 10, 11 years old, but nonetheless mistakes that we hadn't been making um, up to this point. So lot to unpack there. We'll, uh, we'll get back to work tonight. We got to have a great week. We're playing a really good team, fast athletic, you know, a lot of good players um, this Saturday in the second round of the pop Warner playoffs. And uh, we'll see, we are, we are on a quest to see if we can win a city championship, but uh, we got some work to do. We have some, we have some tough teams coming up. So that's the update there. Both my boys played in um, the big perfect game, super NITs this past weekend, my youngest son, TJ's team, um, they made the semifinals. They lost by one run. They had the tying run at second in the bottom of the last inning and uh, just couldn't quite get them in. But um, the boys played pretty well. Played Again, these NITs attract some of the best teams in the area from not only North and South Carolina, but um, there was a team from Kentucky and my, and my older son's team in their age division. Um, so, yeah, so my younger, my 10U team, they went to the semifinals. My older son's team, they won the championship. They won every game. And um, they played really well. It's probably the best weekend they've had this fall. It's a really talented group of kids. The coach does a great job. And um, so, yeah, I was happy for them. They, the boys all felt really good about themselves. It was good. Uh, so it was, an, it was a busy Olsen weekend. We had nine baseball games and one tackle football game. So as you can imagine, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty wild weekend. And while all that was going on, I was in Los Angeles with my daughter, she came on the road with me this weekend. Um, I had the LA Cowboy game. She came on the road with me and we had a blast. Um, we went in studio. I did some of the pregame shows with Fox. Uh, she came in studio with me. She got to run around with, um, you know, the hair and makeup girls and, and uh, Carissa Thompson and Aaron Andrews. They had her on set. She got her t- picture taken with Terry Bradshaw and Strahan. So she was over the moon. And then after that, she came with me, of course, over to the stadium. We got to go to that new SoFi stadium out in, uh, in LA, which is bananas. That, that stadium is absolutely incredible. It's what $5 billion gets you and, um, got to see the Cowboys and the Rams. And then yesterday our flight was canceled and we flew for the entire day and we got home at 7 PM. So it was a long, but a great weekend. Me and her don't get to do a lot of that stuff together. Um, so for me and her to just be the two of us and, and have his fun weekend was, uh, was awesome. So while we were hanging out on the West coast, my wife was running the kids around, like I said, to nine baseball games between the two boys over the weekend and in the early morning, Saturday football game. So just another day in the life of the youth sports experience. I know a lot of you guys understand that grind, but, uh, we're giving it our best shot. So we have a really cool episode for you guys today. Um, Tim Glaze, Tim, Tim is the director of operations and development for pop Warner. 
Um, you know, Pop Warner being the biggest, you know, youth tackle football program in the entire world. Um, all of us grew up playing it, um, you know, or at least grew up around other people, you know, and familiar with it. My kids are playing it now. I'm coaching it. So it was really cool to have Tim um, kind of give us a little backstory of, of how Pop Warner came to be, some of the challenges they see in the future, some of their the opportunities for growth. Um, I was able to ask him a few questions that I had just from experiencing it now as a um, as a coach and as a father. So Tim was great. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it and um, a really good insight into what is, you know, one of the most established and the long, you know, longest running youth athletics organization, not only in the country, but in the world. So appreciate Tim for coming on. Thank you also to our sponsor, Body Armor. Body Armor not only fuels this show, but it also fuels the craziness in the wild world of, of uh, the Olsen sports experience. So appreciate Body Armor for, for being a part of this journey with us here at You Think. Um, there's a lot of choices for sideline sports drinks. Personally, my favorite, my kid's favorite is Body Armor. We love the orange mango. We love the strawberry banana. Um, the kids just love it. You know, we stop at a gas station. You stop at the grocery store to and from practice or heading to a game. You pack the cooler and, you know, you go get ice at the gas station, dump it in. The kids are like, hey, dad, you have body armor. Dad, you have body armor. They want nothing else. Um, it's just the way they've always been. And uh, it works out good because that's what we have. So it works out good. Uh, body armor, of course, is made with coconut water, B vitamins, and no artificial sweeteners. And you guys can go to drinkbodyarmor.com for more information. So now please enjoy this conversation with Tim Glaze. First off, I just want to say thanks and uh, welcome you to You Think. Oh, I, I appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And uh, yeah, I know people are a lot, very passionate about Pop Warner. So um, fire away with your questions and we'll go from there. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, which I don't know how anyone doesn't know what Pop Warner is. I mean, you guys have been around for since what, 1938 or something. I, I mean, for a long time. Tell everybody just what it is, what your mission is, maybe a little bit of the backstory of how this league became so prominent, not only here in, in America, but throughout the world. And, and just kind of inform our listeners who might not be too familiar with, with the mission and works of, of Pop Warner football and exactly what you guys do. Well, the organization got its start in 1929. Um, so we're coming up on our 100th, one, our 100th year is just in a, in a few years, but in 1929, there was an issue in, in Philadelphia where a lot of the factory owners uh, were discovering kids just being um, uh, bored and, and throwing rocks at windows and so forth. And they came up with an idea, hey, how do we occupy these kids? How do we get them? Be you know, Before extracurricular activities were a thing, they decided to create an extracurricular activity for these kids. And it just happened that they convened a meeting in the fall when football was the sport of choice uh, for that season. So um, it started as um, just a group of um, factory owners um, backing uh, uh, a team of kids to get them into football after school and get them occupied and st develop character and develop just them socially and academically as well, even from the early parts of it. Uh, then in early, early to mid 30s, I believe it was 1934, um, the legendary coach, Pop Warner, um, he'd coached, he'd come to Philadelphia area to coach the Temple Owls. Um, he got involved. He came in to speak to all the kids one day. And by the end of the end of that meeting, uh, they decided to be called the Pop Warner Conference. And then it just grew from there. I mean, it, it just there was uh, I think the first if I remember correctly, the first uh, big championship game was between a Philadelphia conference and a New York conference. And Frank Sinatra was involved with the New York team somehow. Um, and it just continued to just 
uh, get more notoriety. In 1960, Walt Disney put together um, uh, about an hour-long film called Moochie and Moochie of Pop Warner Football, um, just explaining um, the story of this kid that really wanted to play football and going through that whole process. Um, if you ever watched Gilligan's Island, Alan Hale was the coach of, in that film. So uh, he was the skipper in Gilligan's Island. So uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's actually pretty fun to watch. But once, you know, once just Disney put it on the map, it just continued to get more and more uh, success and grow and so forth. In the mid-70s, uh, we added cheerleading. We officially re- recognized cheerleading as a sport. Um, so we've been um, we've been at it going on 100 years. Um, we've evolved as football has evolved. And we continue to evolve as football has continued to need to evolve. And then we've also evolved as cheer has gone from basically just, you know, a sideline activity during football games to a sport in and of itself. Um, But it's really interesting. The history is interesting and the fact that we're coming up on 100 years and get to really look at, hey, where are we now and where can we go in the next 100 years? That's the part where I come in and I'm more excited about that than. But the history is definitely interesting. Um, It's a long history. It's a good history. And and it, it I, I was fascinated just reading up on it and how you know the war it started. Some of the age groups were a little older, right? Some of those factory kids who started playing were a little bit older than you know the traditional ages we see today, which is pretty much you know middle school and down. So I, I found the the story that it, it was a story I wasn't aware of until preparing to talk to you. So that, I just wanted to get your take on it. But one thing I will say, you mentioned that football has evolved and Pop Warner has evolved. Well, I can testify to that because in order to coach, right? So I had to fill out a background check and all this stuff to coach in the pop Warner league here in Charlotte. And part of that process is going through all these like online courses and you got to get a certification and, you know, not like anybody can just show up at the practice and just say, Hey, I'm an assistant coach. I'm a dad. I'm whoever Tim, I failed. I passed the like first aid part. That was easy. The abuse stuff, of course, super important in today's day. That was, you know, pretty straightforward. How to fit the kids for equipment. And then the last chapter was teaching tackling, blocking, taking on ball carriers. Tim, I failed the first like 10 tries that I tried to pass the multiple choice. So to your point about the game has evolved, the way I was taught and now the way that we're being educated to teach these kids in such a more safe and a more efficient function is a testament to the effort that you guys are putting in along with heads up football and, and USA and, and every football USA and all that. So I can testify the game has changed because it changed so much that a guy who's lived his whole life in it, it took me a lot of studying and a lot of taking the tests over and over to even pass it. Yeah. And you know, it's from my perspective, we took the game and we broke it down into developmental phases so some of the things that you would do at, have historically done throughout your career and even in your youth, um, you do those things later uh, in Pop Warner. So one of the things we did from a safety standpoint was we removed the three-point stance at the younger for the younger ages. We removed kickoffs at the underage ages. And those are those seem to be big things that, that big changes. But when you really look at how people are executing at that age, you know, typically what we found and, and what a lot of studies have shown is like kids when a three-point stance, the first thing they do at a younger age is they just stand right up. It's like they're not really coming out of a three-point stance the way you may have done it later in your in your career and so forth. And as you develop those uh those skills and even kickoffs, I said there's there's um a definitely a, a skill set and, and and an awareness of, on the field to, to cover a kickoff at such a young age. So I think from a learning process, we just broken it down a little bit to realize that you can learn different parts of the game as you develop in the game itself. 
you don't necessarily, I don't think it, it doesn't seem that a game for an eight-year-old needs to mimic exactly what a game for a college or a pro player would, would mimic. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, I think we think good, of those things. Yeah, it's smart. And not to interrupt you, but it, it, so that's the age we're in. We're in 11U. Um, so we don't do, we do punt and punt return. Those are the only two live special team reps that we get. You know, you go for, you know, in essence, you run an offensive play to get an extra point. Uh, we don't do kickoff kick returns, as you said. But I'll tell you the one benefit, aside from just the kids aren't, you know, you don't have a kid who can kick. You end up, the problem in practice is when you have to teach them all of those things, it's less time to teach blocking and tackling. It's less time to teach the important foundational skills that these kids can use and develop on because you're spending so much time trying to get a kickoff team. You're spending so much time trying to, and it's impossible. You just, you end up spending so much time on the stuff that doesn't matter. So I think that's smart from your guys perspective. And and the other thing I'll tell you, the, our approach and, and just in my experience now with pop Warner and, and just seeing how you guys educate your coaches, my goal for our kids is we want their experience now through pop Warner to prepare them to make their middle school team. And then that experience in middle school, hopefully that middle school coach is preparing them to one day play in high school. So for, for you to sit here, you know, for you to recognize that the, the object of pop Warner, the object, the foundation of what you're doing is to teach these kids lifelong skills within the game of the game of football, the blocking, the tackling stance, the understand it, these now they can carry that stuff forward with them and add to it, add special teams, add a three point stance, add different elements of the game as they get older and more, you know, and they have a greater ability to handle that. So I, I think just from someone who's been around football, I think the, the baseline kind of objectives that you're trying to hit at different age groups are resonating. Yeah. Thank you for that feedback. I, now from your perspective, even in coaching, you mentioned something really key. There is like, it changes what you spend your time on. So do you think the trajectory from adding more fundamental stuff from the blocking and the tackling and not worrying about, um, you know, kickoffs and so forth, like is, I would assume that you actually see as a pre- former professional athlete that that's a better trajectory for these kids. Yeah, so I, I think to answer your question, the answer is yes. I, I think saving coaches from having to coach a lot of extra stuff at this early age, kickoff team, kickoff return, you got to find a kicker. You got to teach them new rules. You got to, it's a lot. Then there's the health and safety component of it, right? You got kids now running even further at one another on a kickoff. It, I just think the more time coaches can spend coaching, tackling, blocking, fundamentals, how to get in a stance. What are the rules? What are alignments in base defenses? Where do alignments in just traditional offensive sets? Like learn the elements of the game that are going to carry them forward. We have plenty of time to teach them the special teams, to teach them extra points and whatnot. So I I think to, to to your question, Yes, I think those are all really smart choices that are making it a lot better for people like me who are out there trying to make the most of their time coaching. Yeah, it's um, we talk about the on-field stuff. You know, one of you asked earlier about our mission. Um, we really want to uh, instill all the fundamentals and the character development and so forth, so these kids can benefit from their experience in football or cheer and dance, not just on the field but off the field as well. So you also have to layer in all the coaching and to make sure these kids not only know the sport, but know how, what they can take from the sport and apply it into their, into their regular everyday lives as, as they could, cause they grow up and so forth. One of the things that, you know, my, my background with pop Warner started, I was with their marketing agency and then I joined the national ops about a year and a half ago 
But one of the benefits I had with being with marketing agency is I was barely, nobody really knew me. I was under the radar. I was kind of undercover a little bit. And one of the, the one of the most fun I've had uh, over the years is being able to go from the hotel and ride the bus to during our national championship Super Bowl week. I would ride the bus with certain teams um, over to the, the championship site. So I was always impressed by the level of coaching um, that took place on the bus. It was just me. No one who no one knew who I was, but didn't stop them from uh, you know having that time with their kids to to coach them about not just the game, but about what the game means and what they can apply to the game. And it was really impressed because most of the coaches at this level, at least to get to the Super Bowl, are really deliberate and intentional about their craft. And it's not just about those X's and O's. It's about everything else that goes into developing these kids um, for just life in general. Um, from so from, I guess from what you're, what I can take from what you're saying is, if you kind of minimize some of the stuff on the X's and O's side, you can also spend more time really developing the children, the kids for stuff outside of the football world. Absolutely, and and that's I would say that's our biggest approach. I mean, I, it was a little. I, if I'm being honest, I think when we when we joined this group, some of these kids had played together in last year's like Mighty Mites. We're now Junior Pee Wee. Um, my kid had never played before. A handful of other kids had never played before. But we all kind of came together. We had played other sports with these kids, and then we joined to to coach with some of these other dads and and whatnot. And I think for some of the other families that had done it in the past, and then the way we were going to do it this year, starting in the summer, I think in the beginning it was a little eye opening, right? It was it was hard. We were asking the kids to do, you know, things that maybe they weren't used to doing when they were a little younger, right? You talked about being age appropriate as they get older. A lot of these kids are in fifth, sixth grade. You know, a year from now, they're trying out for their middle school team. They're not, they're not babies anymore, right? So teaching them what football practice consists of and teach them what accountability and doing things the right way and earning your position and earning your play time. I mean, it was, and I, and I think now after, you know, being, you know, a month or two into the season, I can see the kids, the light bulbs gone on, right? I can see the improvement. I can see the parents really buying into our style and buying into our approach because in the beginning, it is a little, you are taken back by how hard and demanding tackle football is. You know, that first week in August, starting August 1st around the country, every pop Warner team starts their quote unquote training camp. And we were out there for two and a half hours a day, four or five times a week. I mean, it, you know, after the first couple of days, you're in full pads. I mean, it was a grind and it was hard, but I think the kids are starting to see that football, unlike any other sport, the lessons it teaches you and just grit and toughness and just continuing to work. And it's unlike any other sport. And that's not a knock on those other sports. My kids all love them too. It's just football is just different. And the lessons to your point, the lessons that it teaches these kids, in my opinion, are unlike anything they can get from playing another sport. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've heard you speak in podcast before. And one of the things I've always been curious about is you talked about, um, uh, I think you refer to them as the glue guys, the people that really are come onto the team and they're, they're healthy benefit to the team in the locker room off on the sideline and so forth is, is a lot of that stuff. This is me putting questions to you is so those you've played with those players. Um, we played on, you mentioned, I think you said player led teams, those types of players, when you get that type of player, is a lot of that drawback to the coaching they had at the high school level or at the youth level? Is there a direct correlation to that? You know, I, I think that's a really good question. And I would like to say, yes, I, I think a little bit is inherent. I think a little bit is their upbringing, you know, their, na their natural personality. 
But I think so much of what we try to get across to the kids on our team is from the, the selflessness component, right? Along the lines of those glue guys were very rarely the starting quarterback. They weren't usually the all pro linebacker. They weren't the wide receiver, the running, you know, they weren't the guy that the cameras were on, but they were doing, they were doing all the dirty work. They were the special teams guy. They were the backup, you know, linebacker. They were the third down specialists. They, whatever, they had a role that they really embraced and they brought a great energy and a great positive, you know, kind of contribution to the locker room. So when I look at that now, from our perspective, working with, you know, fifth and sixth graders, I tell the kids all the time, there's one ball on every play. There's one ball and there's 11 kids that are out there and on defense, there's one ball. And for the most part, you're never going to touch it. Right. So if 22 kids on the field, one kid's going to get the ball on every play, how can you contribute to the team without the ball? And I think that's a very simplified version of saying to these kids, how can you be a part of this team and not worry about yourself and not just be worried about your touchdowns and how many carries I got. And this kid got more. My coach needs me to be the best blocker on this play. Be the best blocker. I need to carry out a great fake as the quarterback and pull some defenders, whatever, do that. I get most of my reps playing linebacker. I get most of my reps playing safety. I don't play offense. That's our, be the best version of that kid. Cause that's what your team needs from you. Like that mentality to me is kind of getting lost in sports. In my, in, in my experience, sports at this age, right? Everyone wants to be able to put their kids highlight scoring touchdowns on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. We're in a highlight based world where it's, is my kid succeeding? And if the answer is yes, I'm not worried about it. And that's just not how we run our teams. It's just, it's not how we do it. And some people don't like it. Some people buy into it, but so I, I do, I think there's a lot of correlation between the lessons you're taught early on through sports and how you carry those, you know, carry that perspective and lessons, you know, to whatever heights you make, if it's the NFL, if it's high school, you know, wherever that, that, that train stops, but the selflessness of football is unlike any other sport. And to teach these kids at an early age, who are playing offensive line and who only maybe only play defense. That's their role on the team, but they do it a great job, but they don't play both ways. Or, you know, maybe you're a kid who's the backup and you come in and you rotate, but you do whatever your role is, maximize it. And, um, we try to teach them that. And, uh, for the most part, our kids do a really nice job with it. Good. We, that's one thing that as far as our core values, we don't recognize or keep individual stats. So we kind of keep the focus on, on the team. The only place we get into recognizing the individual is based on what they do in the classroom with college scholarships and academic recognition. But in terms of the football field, um, we keep the individual stats out of it for, for just for the same things you just mentioned. Yeah. So that's I, I have a question. I have a, my brother-in-law, um, I have a, a nephew. He plays 12U ball in central Florida. So I, we talk to them every weekend. They're pretty much living the exact same life that we are. He's a little bit, he's the next group ahead of us age-wise. But every once in a while, there's slight differences in like how they run their playoffs and how we run ours and how the season starts versus when our season starts. So I, I guess my question is, is there a regional component to Pop Warner that kind of sets basic rules and sets basic schedules and timelines in certain areas or or is there like a national like template? Cause I guess my question is, I don't, I don't know the answer from the people I talk to. I seem to get like a little bit of a different experience in pop Warner based on where you live. Like what is the like parent pop Warner handling, trying to lay out like a consistent experience throughout, regardless of where you live. 
Well, so the challenge with that is we, in in a lot of ways, we've got to plan backwards because we are a true national championship. Um, you win and you move on all the way to Orlando. Um, in terms of the start dates, so we do have some flexibility because you know Florida is very different than Massachusetts in terms of temperatures and weathers and opportunities. So the, the in the colder climates, they may start a week early earlier than in the warmer client warmer climates, just to be able to get those games in. Um, in terms of the uh, playoff structures regionally versus um, um, even at the local level, my understanding is that's really based on how many teams are available in that particular league and so forth. Um, so there could be a little differentiation with that, but conceptually we're pretty um, conceptually is pretty consistent. I think the schedule might change a little bit based on location. Um, Florida, you know, you can, um, you know, Florida, you can still be playing comfortable football late October. You may yeah. not have that ability to do that up in the northern, in the yeah. northern states. Um, that makes sense. And then everything flows down to, uh, like for example, even our regional championships. Um, the Florida Southeast region is able to go a little bit later in the into no, into November, and some of our other regions are a little bit earlier in November. Um, a lot of that's just based on availability and also on weather conditions as well. You can you can uh, predict the weather easier in early November, mid November than you can in late November. Yeah. And, and another, and another thing, explain to me the divisions. So everyone in our league here in Charlotte started out and I guess what they called division two. And then as the season went on, you, we only got our schedule like one week at a time. And my, my, my thought is they're trying to like pair up evenly matched teams as opposed to just like laying out an entire, we have a billion teams in Charlotte. Our playoff Mm -hmm. has 16 teams just in our city championship playoff. And I think like four or five teams. And I think there's like 20 or something different associations. We have plenty of teams, but everyone started division two, but then there's an advantage to being division one. Cause I guess those teams can advance further into the nationals or we can, you know, division two teams can only go into regional. So just it's everyone's so used to like the little league world series, right? Where like you see, and you win, you advance, explain your version of the, you know, the super bowl, the playoffs, as it pertains to like a true national championship. Well, that's a that's a good question. It's 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 not the easiest one to answer. Um, it, I guess cons- simply a division one is like for a larger metro area. Division two may be just for a smaller group. Um, and then there's um, we have situations where if if you win several years in a row in division two, we we can I move you up to division one. So we do try and strike some parity that way. Um, a lot of that may be based on um, how many kids per um, association. Um, obviously, if you're in a, a larger metro area, you're going to, the theory is that you're going to be more, you're going to have a stronger team than somebody in a more of a rural area. area and then you have division one, division two. It's kind of similar um, to how the NCAA is made up between divisions or well, FBS and FCS, I guess you could right. say. But um, so we're very similar to that, but there could be some uh, variance in how that's how that's managed at the local level based on some local conditions. Interesting. Yeah. I, and again, I didn't, I didn't know is our first year doing it. So when, when our head coach sent an email to us, he's like, Hey, what division do we want to be in? I was like, well, where's all the other teams in Charlotte? And again, we have a million teams in Charlotte. They're all like, you know, rec associations in their own right. Um, I was like, well, let's just play where everybody else is. So when we get to the playoffs, we're in this nice big 16 team bracket and we'll play it out. And 
if you win the city championship, then I guess you move on to like a regional, whether it's Mm -hmm. North Carolina or whatever it is. I said, so let's see what that looks like. But I guess one of the other teams that's pretty good, they went to division one, but they're the only team in their bracket. So they automatically advance to regionals. So I don't know. It just didn't, I didn't understand it. I was like, well, how do they get to automatically go? If they're just the only team in the bracket, they automatically win. Like we'll go in it. And then we only have to beat them. You know, I don't know. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I don't have an answer. It's probably a local thing. Yeah. It's probably a local thing. But anyway, I, um, just again, I'm learning pop Warner like everybody (laughs) else is, but, um, I want to change gears just a little bit. And I want to just talk more just like globally about how you see the youth sports kind of engine that's happening. A big reason why we started this show was to kind of explore the good and a little bit of the ugly of what has now youth sports has turned into, right. The big business component of it. And you know, the, the way adults have kind of taken over the scene. What, what do you guys at Pop Warner, when you sit there and evaluate the landscape, again, you guys have been around now almost a hundred years and you've seen a lot of change, not so much the football part. Like what have you seen as the challenges as far as the parents, the coaching, the way, you know, making sure we still keep this about the kids, the, like what, what are the challenges that you guys see and what are steps that you guys are taking to address it? Well, I think from a football standpoint, um, we don't really have this challenge on chair and dance, but we have to figure out how they work together uh, in, our, in our organization. Football, just because of the nature of it, will never be year round. Um, um, we have we're limited to just the fall, and even that that tracks with some of the high school uh, rules in some states. You only play in the fall, tackle anyway. So it's makes it challenging for us when you see some of these other sports build a year round model, when you get somebody in the spring and you want to keep them through, um, all year round. So what we are, what we're trying to impress upon is getting back to getting like really going, uh, challenging the idea of sports specialization and really going back to say, look, you want to, you want to play a lot of different sports and we hope you give football a try in, in the, uh, in the fall. Um, that's been a big thing of ours right now because you know, we are only a fall season for football cheer and dance. We have expanded the, um, the calendar for to be year round. What we have to do better or have to do more of in that regard is create more opportunities in the spring for um, our cheerleaders and our dancers. So we're working towards that. The bigger, the bigger issue is, and this is kind of what I'm going through a process right now with our team is as a governing body, we have to figure out what what it is that we do, what the value is that we bring, right? So we talk about all the rule changes and in, in, in evolving the game of football, and we did very similarly on cheer and dance as well, and with the kid, that kid in mind, with safety in mind. But at the national office, and even with our regional management team, the people that we're closest to are the, the league administrators, the association presidents, and volunteers, the volunteers in general, coaches. Like, what do we do to make their lives easier? And I think that's the biggest question that we're asking, and we don't really have all the answers yet, but we're going through that process and figuring out what it is, what does it mean to be a governing body that can have an impact and a value on these leagues and the associations? What kind of benefits and resources can we bring to the table? What can we do to make all these people's lives a little bit easier? As you're a coach as well, you're a parent, as well, I'm sure you're running around with your kids and it's just hard to manage your kids' schedule, maybe your coaching schedule. Um, then you layer in all the volunteer work, all the administrative stuff and everything that's typically also parents. Um, you know, how do we free them up a little bit to spend more time with um, um, with the uh, with their kids, with 
in that in that environment. So that's something that we're looking at right now. That the the raise the the increase in technology and some of the things that are available to uh, people from uh, different solutions and so forth, roster solutions, registration solutions, really make forces us to rethink where we step in um, as a governing body. It used to be several years ago, it was, you had to come through a Pop Warner just to get you know your how-to manual in terms of how to do it. But um, it's just different now with with the, the rise of the internet and so forth and you know what it means to be a part of Pop Warner. So we're going through that process right now and trying to figure out you know, how we can uh, better position ourselves for the next 100 years. And I'm excited about it because it's, it's, it really puts us in, um, in a position to be more member focused, more uh, resource driven. And I think, um, I think we're kind of on the cusp of that right now. Yeah. And the sports specialization piece is really interesting. You know, my, my oldest son plays, uh, plays baseball and the team he's on plays fall baseball. And seven of the seven of the boys that are on the baseball team, it's a very like competitive through the spring and the summer. They play, they travel around the country. It's like a very competitive baseball team, but seven of the 12 of the 13 boys play on our football team. So this fall has been a really interesting kind of experiment for all of the families. We're all kind of living it together where half the team of baseball is just playing baseball, right? So their whole fall is open. They play baseball year round and, and it's great. And then for the other half, they don't want to lose out on playing on the baseball team. They don't want to lose their spot. They don't want to fall behind, but they really want to play footballs, right? So we're trying to make this work, but I can tell you if you don't have parents and kids that are really, really committed to playing both, I can see now why people just pick one. Picking one is just easier. So I guess my question to you is like in the, in regards to that sports specialization, like, is that your biggest challenge as far as getting kids out to play tackle football? Of course, we all know the elephant in the room is the safety concerns, which we can dive into here in a little bit, I think are, are very overblown. But like, is that year round travel baseball, travel basketball, lacrosse, you know, soccer, like, is that your biggest challenge? Or is it what we all hear in the news every day that, you know, the biggest challenge for youth sport, you know, youth tackle football is the health concerns? I think it's definitely one of our bigger challenges. The health concerns in my opinion, is, is definitely a concern. We can't, we can't uh, avoid that, but I can tell you this year we're seeing, um, I don't know the, the total numbers yet, but we're projecting that we're adding about 10% of players back. That's so awesome. that's really good. So we're seeing a good wave of growth in that regard. Um, the, um, and that's really at the association level associates. It's not really us adding more associations. It's the associations adding more kids. So for some reason, for a lot of reasons, football is coming back. It's, it's getting more interest now, and we're seeing that in the numbers. Um, I'm, I would predict that once all the numbers come in throughout the entire category of youth football, all of youth football is going to be up for the first time in a while. So that's a that's a promising thing. And I think a lot of that reason is because we've done a pretty good job of, of really stemming those safety issues, not just in terms of the the uh, what we've done from a rules perspective in terms of the three point stance elimination, the kickoff elimination and uh, some of the rules we have in terms of, of how many how much contact you can have during a practice, during your during your practices and games and so forth. Um, that definitely helps. But we're also. Um, seeing a lot less coverage, a lot less media coverage of the issue of safety. Um, and a lot of that is because over time, I think it's been, 
you you basically have said earlier that you think it's overblown. I think it's showing the idea that it is a little overblown. Um, but that's really that's that's the best good word to use for it. It's overblown. We still recognize that we need to uh, make advancements in safety, and we continue to do that. But um, yeah, I think the uh, those two things, sports specialization as well as um, safety, are probably two of the things that we have to look at. Um, one of the things that we we have the response for the safety side um, in terms of you know making the game safer and so forth. The response for sports specialization. One of the responses we cannot do is just add spring tackle football. Um, no. That's a step that we're not we're not going. No. So um, that's been that's been another issue. And then the other part of it is um, in spring you do have a lot of uh, flag football. You have a lot of um, seven on seven coming up and, and so forth. Limited tackle. Um, so that does exist in this in, in the spring. Um, but the flag football and the tackle football crowd, in terms of the administration of it, seem to be very different. Um, but the experience of it, the gateway from flag to tackle, from tackle back to flag, at least getting these kids playing some level of football um, is definitely available to them all year round, just not tackle in the spring. Yeah, that that's a non-starter. You you can't do tackle year round. Anyone that's clamor, I, I can't even imagine people are even pushing for that. And if they are, they they need to take a step back and and not be heavily involved because that's a nightmare. But the th- you know, but along those lines, the biggest challenge I've always thought football had, aside from just being hard, right? Sometimes kids just don't like things that are hard. The thing that football has going against it that the other sports, especially nowadays is it's the only sports these kids practice do where they practice more than they play, right? When you play travel baseball and travel lacrosse and you play five, six games a weekend, you might practice once or twice during the week, but then every weekend you're playing five or six games. It's a blast in football for every one game we play, we practice three times and then you get one crack on Saturday and then it's back to work on Tuesday again. So like for these kids that are doing these other sports experiences, because we've gotten so game centric, mm-hmm. everything's a tournament, everything's a showcase. The idea of practice and developing skills and developing foundational platforms that they can build off of as they get older and develop have been completely abandoned in the other sports. Right. And I think a big reason for that, and it's kind of segues into my next question is a lot of that is just coaching priority. Right. I think so much of coaching priority in today's youth sports landscape is so much on acquisition of players. If my team's not winning, it's just because I don't have enough good players. And if I, I need to play as many games as I can to show my record, to show how good of a coach I am. And the development of the kids and the skill work and the training and the foundation is lost. The great coaches that I've been around that my kids have played for and whatnot. They, they understand that they understand how important these early years of laying that foundation and learning the skill and learning the, the fundamentals are to their long-term growth. How do you guys attract more developmentally minded coaches into the pop Warner kind of chain versus the coaches who the only thing they can that they're worried about is their record when they're advancing to what championship. And if this kid's not good, he gets put on the three team. That's another whole thing that I could go into that drives me insane. We're like some of these leagues, they have like one and two and a three and all the best kids get put on one. And then the two and three get left behind. And then they go around and they beat everybody. I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. You handpicked the best 20 kids in your association. But anyway, that's a whole different argument. How do we find more coaches 
that are into developing the foundation and the fundamentals for these kids versus worrying about just finding new, better players because it's easier than teaching the ones that I have? Well, I think that's, that's a good question. I think there's two things there. I mean, in youth sports right now, it's, it's sometimes in some, in some areas, it's hard enough to find coaches in general. Um, right. So we need to figure out, just get coaches in. And yeah, then beggars can't be, sometimes beggars can't be choosers, yeah. right? Yeah, I get it. But going back to what I had previously said, I mean, in terms of us being in uh, the national governing body, being able to do those, create those resources and benefits, I think it's, it, it can, we can take it on, um, take on a role where we help coaches. We, we end up developing coaches to a certain degree. Um, to get to the point where you just mentioned in terms of it's more about the development and the fundamentals and so forth, and less about the, and less about the, um, the record and all the games played. And sometimes that's just a communication issue. Just us being able to communicate it uh, appropriately and so forth. And I know several years ago, I was on a startup sports resort uh, project. And one of the things that we had to, had to go into is looking at soccer. And one of the things you may want to look at, and, and this is going back to maybe 2012, but you know, soccer had that issue was they were, they compared the American soccer is always compared to European soccer. And what they had found or what they were starting to argue, at least in 2012 ish, was that one of the reasons why we lagged behind the Europeans is we played, we did nothing but play games. Um, and it's all games and no fundamentals and so forth to the point where the, I think the, uh, the advisement was play your tournaments every other weekend and then focus on development in between. So I, I kind of, you know, take that in terms of and, and apply it to what we do here in terms of, you know, the development is so important to the safety aspect of it. You have to be ready for that game. Um, that we have, we're always going to be more development and more practice and more, um, and more than anything than a game. And how that translates to life is you have to be, you constantly have to be prepared for opp- opportunities and preparedness has to outweigh all the opportunities because they're usually few and far in between sometimes. Um, so I don't know how the answer to your question in terms of how you get coaches um, to think that way. Um, that's a really, that's a good question. I think it kind of starts with some communication that we just have to, and then someone has to coach the coaches. Um, we can really look in terms of making some strides in that area, but um, we see it as well. Um, we see it. I'm sure if you follow some of the forums and message boards around pop one oh. around youth football, they're all <laughs> out there. And they'll they'll go anywhere. They'll go. They'll travel three states away for a game. Um, I don't know if we're going to completely eliminate that, but I think we can influence it for sure. Yeah, and and we all know the reason. Right? There's a few reasons why nobody wants to coach. And and this isn't a Pop Warner. This is just a youth sports landscape issue right now. It doesn't. You could pick the sport, male, female. It doesn't matter. It's happening in everyone, every one of them. So many qualified coaches who really have something to bring, they have an understanding, they have a passion, they have an experience, whatever it is that they could bring to a coaching staff and as a byproduct bring to these young kids, they shy away from because sometimes the experience as a coach, there's nights where I come home after coaching all day, everyone else's kids, but, and I say to myself, is this worth the aggravation? Is it worth the emails? Is it worth the complaining? Is it worth the whispering in the bleachers? And you know what a lot of coaches say? It's not worth it. I'm going to coach my kid. I'm not going to deal with all the nonsense of all the parents. No one, appre- you know, not no one. A lot of people appreciate it, but the ones who don't are the loudest of the group. And we're pushing away parents, moms, dads, non-parents, who just really qualified people who really have a passion for helping young kids learn these lessons and learn these sports 
because so much of the experience of being a youth coach right now sucks. And that's just the fact of the matter. And it sucks because of the other adults. It doesn't suck because the kids, the kids are great. How do we, and I, and I, I don't know if you had the answer to this. We've been searching for this now for six months now on this podcast. How do we get parents to let coaches coach and understand that they're volunteers and that they're doing the best that they can? And the more we rip these coaches, the less coaches there are, and we're going to have to settle for inferior ones. That's, I think, a question we're all struggling with. I know. Um, it's hard. I don't, no one has it. No one has that answer. But to me, that's, that's the answer to fix all of this. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get, it's, um, yeah, we've talked about it a lot internally about, you know, how we, a, a, we, you know, we have a growth mindset. We want to grow pop Warner. We want everyone playing the pop Warner brand and to play the pop Warner brand. It takes a certain coach to, to be able to kind of embrace some of our, our fundamentals and our values and so forth. Um, so we typically attract an issue to track coaches that are already, you know, a step in the direction that you're, you're hoping coaches get to. Um, so that's been a benefit for us, but we still see, we still see it a little bit. One thing I've experienced in, in, in my just being around new sports in general is it's usually cultural. Um, if there's uh what I've noticed on a baseball field, even in football or, or on a soccer field is if, if what you're explaining, if there's one bad parent or one parent uh, or one, a group of parents on a team, it's usually that whole team. And then there's uh different teams that are like model teams that you wish wish you would do. And it just seems like if we can change the culture of each team, at least influence the culture of each team, um, you could eliminate a lot of that stuff. And that actually might start with the coaching, uh, not necessarily the parents. I don't know really the, the, the silver bullet to that, but um, it's going to be a question I think we're going to be asking for for quite a while. Um, we are bene- we benefit at Pop Warner just because of you know the value system we have and espouse that we we kind of don't see it as often as we might in the general uh, sports landscape. So we benefit from that regard. Yeah. I think that, again, I didn't expect you to have the magic answer. If you did, you'd be a hero, but you know, these are just some of the frustrations on the ground that I hear from other guys that are coaching other moms, dads that are coaching teams where it's like, I would love to do it. And I think I'd be able to bring a lot to these kids. I just don't want to deal with the aggravation. And that's, to me, that's such a shame, right? Like we're taking such great resources away from these kids and great opportunities for them to learn and to grow and develop because the adults are tired of the other adults. And it's just, it never, regardless of the sport, it's the, it's stood the test of time. You know, when, when you look at the landscape of football, you know, through, through the youth football lens, I'm not asking you to evaluate what the NFL wants to do or anything like where do you see the future of it? Like, where do you see Pop Warner's greatest opportunity, right? We talked a lot about some challenges and some things you're working through, but like, what is the greatest opportunity that you guys have? You're the, you're the largest, you know, football brand for kids in the world. You guys have so many positives. We're living it now. You guys do a great job. Like, where are still some of the untapped opportunities that you guys have and that make you guys excited about, you know, as you mentioned, this next hundred years? Well, one thing that I think we're going to, have to get a little bit we have to make some strides on is just our value proposition for leagues and associations i think that's where we can make the uh um where we can make a lot of effort going forward just making sure that people want to be a part of pop warner uh we have a great we have a great story to tell we have a great structure in place um we also see opportunities 
to get inside the flag part um, as well as rookie tackle and some of the, the developmental um, pr- uh, process in terms of how people engage with football. Um, we are primarily a tackle program, but I do think we can get into some of the areas and be more of a, a I would call it like a, maybe a 360 uh, version of football, including uh, components of flag, components of um, rookie tackle developmental programming. That's we've, we've done that a little bit with uh, USA football, just kind of bridge from flag up to tackle. There's an opportunity with that as well. Um, I think there's a lot of growth uh, prospects for us. It's we're very unique in a sense that we have a true national championship that people do like and and enjoy. Um, But we want to sit there and be a little bit more engaging at the very, at the very local level and not be so focused on like what we do from a national perspective. And the more we do that, I think the biggest is our biggest growth and our biggest opportunity is just really engaging with uh, solving some of the issues at the local level. Um, Issues that we're trying to identify right now uh, and going through a process of learning a little bit more about the pain points of administrators and so forth. So um, that's the part I'm excited about. And I think that from a governing body, I think that's the part that we have to really embrace in terms of setting us up for the next 100 years. What's rookie tackle? So rookie tackle was a program that USA football devised a few years ago. And then we partnered with them on that. It's, it's just a modified version of tackle. Um, it kind of sits between your flag environment, your flag experience and, um, and your tackle experience. And it's on a modified smaller field, a smaller, um, team sizes, but they, they're implementing a lot of, uh, the tackle, uh, tackle type of football. Um, but just at a reduced, a different set of rules. Um, so but it, it's it full exists. tackle, like they're hitting each other, blocking, tackling, taking yeah, them to the wearing, ground. They're, they're wearing helmets and so wearing forth. Fl- just, pads. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I never yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, it's um we we piloted it and I believe in Austin, Texas, um that we had some success down there and um it's something we offer and a lot of times you know our groups want to go straight to the stereotypical tackle programs but yeah. you know we we think that's a that's a little bit of a um it's a good bridge between tackle and flag. So yeah. um I I for us I think we're 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 well poised to to continue pop Warner for into the future and so forth. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about some of the things that we can do from a governing body perspective. Um, and I think seeing the numbers of kids come back to the sport this year in terms of our growth in kids um, is very promising. Um, you know, the NFL, not their agenda, but they're, they're always going to be, they're going to be the biggest sport in, in the country for a long time yet. So we're always going to have that. Um, I know their interests are, and if is to really develop not just the game, not just uh, develop tackle or flag for the future NFL player, but it's that future fa- future fan as well. Totally, um, yeah, that's a huge know, part of it. Yeah, I mean, most that's fans as an adult play the game as a kid. Of so course. Um, we just want to get more kids exposed to the game, flag, tackle, anything modified. Um, so I think we're good. We're in good shape. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that I think leads. I think this is a. a, a complex reason why, but you mentioned so many kids coming back. I mean, I, I even just look how many kids are in our age group, our 11, U at our association, we have three 11, U teams just in one age group at one association. Like I said, there's 20 some out of them in, in town. We have like 70 something kids just in our age group between the three teams. Each team has like, we have 24. The other two teams are somewhere in the twenties. I mean, 
So to your point, I think a big reason for that is a couple of years ago when you guys got a, got a more age based and you got away from some of the weight class mm-hmm. stuff. I think kids are bigger now. They're more physical for whatever reason. Kids did not look like this when I grew up playing football. Um, but no, the kids now that maybe in years past when there was weight limits had to wait till high school to play football or wait till their middle school if they had them. I think that's another good thing that you guys did where you opened the doors to everyone and said, okay, we're going to play by our age now. No more older, lighter. No more having to make small kids play up against older kids just because they're a little bigger. I think that's also a bigger reason why I think the participation's gotten a little better. I think that was a good adjustment to encourage bigger kids that they don't have to be punished for being bigger kids. They can still experience the sport just like everybody else. Yeah, no, we've seen definitely strides on that. We see a lot of the so our, our leagues being able to add associations because of our move to age base. But in terms of being able to retain kids, what also has done is it's kept friends together. Um, they can come up and they can experience the sport from together. There's there's no growth spurt that moves you from one team to another. Yep. So that's we're seeing some dividends on that as well. And we we've seen it anecdotally and we've seen it in the statistics as well. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I am going to make one suggestion box and it's small. (laughs) It's small, but it's something that we've found. And I just want to talk through it and you tell me if I'm wrong. So you have your mercy rules, right? In baseball, if you're up by eight after four innings, the game is over, right? But in football, obviously you're not going to cancel the game at halftime. So you guys rightfully so there's rules in place. If once you get up by 28, you can't throw that's obvious. The part that we're struggling with, we've had a couple games where at halftime, not even halftime, you get up by, you know, four touchdowns, right? Which in 11, you football can happen pretty quickly. You're you have to run the ball between the tackles. Okay. So just hear me out on this. We love in those games because we get a chance to play a lot of kids, a lot of reps in the second half who maybe in some of the closer games don't play as much, right? There's minimum play requirements and all that. So they're a little closer to those minimum plays. But what happens is, especially with the offensive linemen, when we're up by a lot and we have to turn the ball and hand the ball off to a running back and run between the tackles, the entire stadium knows that's all you're allowed to do. You can't throw and you can't run outside. So it's twofold. I could only give the ball to my running back and they have 11 kids standing over the center and it's tackling practice. So what do I do? I say, well, I'm not going to get my running back hurt. I'm going to keep my starting offensive lineman in. So in a whole half of the game where all these other kids could be getting a ton of reps at offensive line blocking and all that, because we can run our whole offense. I don't want to throw it. I'm not looking to run the score up, but just to be able to function, it really limits how you can develop the rest of your roster because of those rules. So that's my feedback to you guys. I understand the nature of the rule, but I think it actually works counterproductive to some of the development of the roster who might not get as much playing time in the closer games. No, that's good feedback. I've heard similar in the past. One thing I can say about that rule is everybody understands the need for it. Everybody agrees for the need totally. for it. where the differences are, like what it looks like and how we implement it. So Absolutely. Um, we, that's always under review. And it's um, to me, I it's a safety we, thing. Right. Like to me, it's a safety thing. If for the next two quarters, I got to put Johnny at running back and say, Hey, Johnny, all we're allowed to do is turn around and hand it to you and you have to run straight. And by the way, they know that. And they're just going to tackle you for the next two quarters. The poor kid looks at me and he's like, well, I don't want to do that. Right. Like 
to me, it's a safety mechanism. And then to protect the kid with the ball, you keep your better blockers in and then you keep your better blockers in and the kids, your backups are now standing on the sideline. No, understood. No, we can, so, I can take back, take that back to our board. And that's one, and we, that's my one observation. I, again, in closing, I think a lot of the rules you guys have in place are great. Again, we've only experienced it at the 11U, so we'll move up and continue to experience it at different levels. But I think the rules in place, I think the training for the coaches, although this coach admittedly struggled with some of the new age <laughs> techniques, it was a good education. It was a good re-education for me as someone who grew up and learned the game, you know, as a kid in the early 90s, where it was very different. We were, we were taught a very different style of youth football that I, you know, in essence, played the rest of my life. It was a good re-education. It was a good reset. It's been a good introduction for my own son and the other 20 some odd kids that we coach. Um, so I, I tip your cap to you guys. I think you guys are trying to give these kids a really good product um, as anything. No, there's no perfect system, but um, so far our experience has been good. I'm hoping our playoffs start this weekend. So wish us luck. Hopefully we, uh, hopefully we get rolling here. Well, yeah, it'd be great to see you down in Orlando too, a little bit later this year. And uh um, I don't know if we're that good. Well, we'll yeah. see. The problem is we're in division two. Oh yeah. So yeah. every, the whole, everyone in Charlotte was in division two until last week. And they sent out the bracket for this upcoming Saturday's games. And one team moved up to division one. They were undefeated. They're the only team that we had lost to week one. And then the rest of us are just where we've been the whole year, but no one ever like said anything to us. Like, do you want to move on? So my understanding is we can only go to regionals if we won like the city okay. championship, which I don't know if we can win that anyway, yeah. you know, we'll see. Well, good luck to you. Hey, look, one more thing. I was really, really yeah. appreciative of you guys getting uh, the teams on the field during the preseason game with the Panthers. That was fun. Um, I thought it was great. Um, good exposure for us. We enjoyed it. So, and then particularly having the cheerleaders on the sideline was great as well. So I, but the question I had for you on that was like, we see from the kids standpoint, like what was it like for the kids to be on that field in that environment? Well, it's funny you ask. So for the kids, it was a blast. They, they were very nervous. I would, I'll be honest. I think we were all a little nervous, right? Like that was our, we had never, we hadn't had a game yet. That was like our, the next day, the next morning was opening, opening day. So we had yet to play our kids in like a live environment. So that in itself, there's a lot of unknowns. Like, all right, we've been practicing all this time. Like, are we any good? So there was that there was the nature in which the Panthers asked us to do it, which we only each got five plays. You weren't allowed to huddle you because there was like this strict time constraint. Mm -hmm. So it was like a mad scramble of chaos and you only get five plays on each side of the ball, but we got 20 something kids. We wanted every kid to play in the game, of course, but then you got to make sure every kid in the game, you can run certain plays that everybody can handle. It, so there was a lot of elements that played into it that caused a chaotic experience. It was more chaotic for the adults than the kids. The kids came away from that, like to play in front of however many thousand people, albeit you could have, that was the Super Bowl to them. You couldn't tell those kids that it was a preseason game. It was the Super Bowl. Um, they loved it. Come running out of the tunnel. We got to warm up in the indoor bubble and then walk across. And if to them, it felt like they were in high school, right? It felt like they were walking to a big rivalry game. It was a great experience. I'm glad the Panthers asked us to be a part of that. And um, it, it was really cool for the kids. I think they came away with a great life experience. And I think as coaches, we were just glad when it was over because it was extremely stressful. <laughs> so what you just explained there, if, if I've, you warmed up in the, and then he came over through the tunnel, the first time they stepped, in the stadium, onto the field, 
it was packed. They didn't see it. It was half the game. It was half time. So that was their yeah. They went right out in halftime, middle of half. They walked in, they walked in with five minutes, say five minutes to go in the second quarter. We stood behind the Bills bench where they kind of like corralled us. And we just stood there. And then the second the clock hit zero, they started blowing whistles and yelling at us. And we had to go right out there, no huddle and line up and run play number one. And then after play number one, quick substitution, play number two. So we had it like organized. It was like rehearsed. All right, here's our play. Who's in play one? You know your play, go. Okay, play number two team. So like three kids would run on, three would run off. They'd run a play. And we would just do that. It was like watching like a hockey game. Wow. That's a yeah, lot of it was, intensity in that it was environment. Good. It was. It, good. You know what? It was good for them though. Like for them to learn how to operate in those environments, not everything's going to be quiet. You know, not everyone in the gym is going to be, it's not tennis, right? Where everyone has to be quiet. And no one, it's not golf. Football is an intense sport. Football's loud. You don't get to tell the other team to stop screaming. You don't get to tell the other coach, you know, you got to play. So I think for these kids to get used to operating in those environments is good for them. Great. Well, I'm, ha- I'm happy you guys did it and it was good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. Definitely enjoyed the time here. Well, I appreciate it. Again, uh, Tim Glaze, thank you so much uh, with Pop Warner coming and and talking a little bit about your future, your past, kind of where things are now. And uh, we appreciate you, Tim, for joining us. I think our viewers are going to love the conversation and take a lot from it. So thanks for joining us on today on You Think. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Tim. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Tim Glaze. Um, I, I just think it was a very fitting conversation being that it's the fall and so many young kids throughout the country are, you know, experiencing tackle football and the vast majority of them are experiencing tackle football, just like my kid is. And just like my family is through the world of pop Warner and just hearing how their story came to be, how it all kind of started in those factories in Philadelphia of trying to keep kids out of trouble. And now it's grown into an international organization that services, you know, millions of kids throughout the world is, is just a really cool story. And I just really appreciate the work that they're doing. They understand the, you know, some of the obstacles that the the sport of football is facing that youth sports is facing. And, you know, they tackle a lot of them head on and they're open-minded. They're open to suggestions. They're open to feedback. And uh, I just think it was a great conversation. Very, you know, I, I know I took a lot out of it just as a dad and, and as a coach and, I'll take a lot of that back with me just when I go to practice tonight and just some of the things that we can continue to work on to give these kids as good a experience as possible. Um, you know, learning the game of football, which is at this stage, what it's all about. So I appreciate Tim for, for joining us. Maybe we'll have him back here uh, in the future. Once we wrap up this season, we can kind of give him a, give an update on how the old South Charlotte Patriots fared in the, <laughs> in the pop Warner playoffs. So appreciate you guys checking in again at this time. Um, you guys know what's coming. Tasha is going to join us, but again, Tasha, probably my favorite check into the, of, of each week's episode. Can we get a Syracuse orange? Can we get a little update? How are we doing? We had a bye week last week, so, so not we did much great. to update. So yeah, we did, we did great. great. No one was injured. Flawless. Love that. Yeah. Did, how, um, what does your dad, did you know how, like, what is your dad's approach for anyone who's just listening and or has lived in a cave? Tasha's father um, is the head football coach at Syracuse. What is his bi-week approach? Like, does he kill the kids and go like real hard practices? Does he take, do you have any idea? No, it's most, I mean, a little bit, it's mostly rest in the beginning. Like they take it pretty easy and just recover from the games that they've already played. Um, yeah. So I think it's more restful in the beginning. Okay. I'm not sure. How, I'm not sure the end of the week if he kicks it into gear, but I think back to college when we had a bye week it was like the most miserable it was the most miserable week of the year because the practices were harder you did get the weekend off which was nice but 
man, our practices were hard. They were long. Hmm. They were fo- it was, I, but again, that was, that was a different well, world. All right. Well, yeah. but no, Syracuse got a big one this week, right? Yeah. We play NC state. So NC I guess we'll state. see. We'll see if rusting was the case or not. We'll see. Well, well next week's <laughs> next week's going to be a big update here on you think that's everyone's going to tune in. We want to know, we want to get the inside scoop of how the Syracuse orange did. I'm yeah, psyched. We'll do okay. All right. Yeah. What kind of questions you got for us today? Yeah. So we have three questions. The first one is from Ryan on Instagram. He says about to begin JV girls volleyball tryouts. So far 60 have signed up and I'm taking only 14. How do you think I should handle all the cuts I need to make? I cannot see myself making a phone call to 45 parents and players. I'll tell you the worst part of youth sports in my experience of just being around it now is the sports that you need to do cuts. You know, we do them for our baseball team is really the only time we've done them at this stage. And it's really, really hard to tell young kids, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. But unfortunately, there's not a spot on the team. And it's just, it's gut-wrenching. It is horrible. I don't envy the position Ryan's in. It's my least favorite part of the entire thing. I, I almost want to say like, I'll come coach the team but you make the team, you pick the team and I'll come after tryouts. Cause it gives me like anxiety. It gives me like such stress of like having to have these conversations with, with these kids and, and obviously through their parents, but um, mm. it's part of the deal, right? So he's talking about high school kids and the unfortunate reality is when you get to middle school sports, even, and then for sure, high school sports, it's ultra competitive. We are living in an era where the high school sports experience is very competitive. It's very cutthroat. We got kids that are specializing because it's their only way of making the team. It's the only way that they can put in enough time to give themselves a chance to at least one season, you know, you know, make one of the school's teams. So it's a challenge. I think my advice to Ryan would be, you know, obviously run a, encourage the parents to come to the tryout. That would be one thing that I would highly recommend is have parents come to the tryout so everyone can see what you do. Everyone can see that everybody was given the same opportunities. Everyone went through the same drills. Everyone was evaluated and treated on a level playing field. So to me, the more people you have involved in the tryout, the better. If your athletic director could come and sit through the tryout, that would be great, right? Like as many people that can justify, not who you pick, right? Like you're the coach, you get to pick who you want, but just to justify that the process was fair. The process was in all the kids' best interests and they had an opportunity to lay out and put their best foot forward. So that would probably be my first my first piece of advice. And then as far as once you pick the kids, all you can do to these kids for as hard as it is, is be honest with them. And at the end of the conversation, the, the 45 or so kids that unfortunately don't have a spot this year, leave them with one thing they can improve on. You know, leave them with one, hey, between now and next year's tryouts, because again, this is JV, so there's no seniors. They're, these kids are all going to have a chance to come back. In this case, these young girls work on this, and that will give you a better chance for next year. Focus more on this, and you'll have it right. Like, give them something they can walk away from. Give them something they did well, and then give them something that they need to improve on to give them a chance to maybe have better success, especially if they're a young underclassman who has a chance to do this for a couple more years. So that would be. Those are probably be the two biggest things um, that I would leave them with, leave Ryan with. But um, I don't envy his position. But unfortunately, you can't have 60 girls on the volleyball team. And you have to do what's in the best case for the entire team, which is to put together the best group of girls to make the best team. Maybe not the best 14 girls, 
but the best collection of girls that makes the best team that complement one another, that play off one another. And um, sometimes it's hard to evaluate that in just a tryout setting, but you have to be fair, be organized, give everyone an equal opportunity and then have the hard conversations and move forward and coach the girls that you keep as hard as you can. Are you a fan of them? Like just posting it in the hallway and you run and look at your name, like the old school way, or were you going to call up each parent? I think, you know, I, I think, I think there should be a little bit more of a personal approach. I think with 60 girls, it's hard, right? That, I mean, that, that's a very time consuming conversation. I don't know if it's realistic to have 45 conversations with the parents, but I do think you can have 45 conversations with the girls, with the kids. I think you owe them that. I think they can come by and stop into your office, you know, take a couple mm-hmm. girls each day for a week or two and just have a, a good conversation, be upfront, be honest with them and, um, and go from there. I don't necessarily think you have the time or the obligation to have a full sit down meeting with every single parent. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think you want to set that precedent, but um, I do think you want to have the conversation with the kids, right? I do think the kids, like I said, need that feedback, leave them with not just, okay, your name's not on the list but why didn't I make it? Where do I have to improve? What did you see from me that you didn't like, that you did like? Like, give them some feedback. Not all the kids are going to, some of those kids will never show up to a tryout again. That's fine. But to the girls who really want to play, hopefully they take one or, if one or two of those girls takes your feedback and works on it for the next year and comes out and makes the team the next year, it was worth the extra time that it took to have those one-on-one conversations. Right. All right. Our next question is from Twitter from Josh. He says, if you feel like you've lost the locker room as a coach, are there tactics to try to get it back? You know, I I think the biggest thing, and and this falls for all coaches or just really all leaders in general, is you're going to mess up. You're going to be out of line. You're going to treat people unfairly. You're going to make a real quick, you know, emotional response to a situation. And then upon reflection, say, you know what, I took it out on the wrong person or, you know, whatever. Just be honest, right? Be able to be honest, be able to accept blame, be able to say, hey, you know what? I was wrong here. I, t- you know, in the moment we thought it was you, but it turned out that it was me. Like people, whether it's kids or whether it's adults, they want their leaders to be able to have humility, have to, the ability to admit when they're wrong and not always just continue to defend themselves, defend themselves and, and refuse to kind of take that step. So I think the biggest thing leaders can do, whether, you know, in this case, coaches, just be honest with your kids. Admit their failures. If you're able to admit your own failures and your own your own mistakes, they're going to be a lot more accepting of you pointing out their mistakes and their failures. So I think um, it's got to be a two-way street. And to me, that's just great leadership in general, whether it's sports or whether it's just business or life or fam- whatever it is. Like You have to be able to admit, you know, be strong, be hard on the kids, demand a lot, but you also have to demand a lot of yourself. Hmm. Be vulnerable, people. Um, anyway, our, <laughs> our last question is from also Instagram. Um, her name is Nalti, I think you, is how you pronounce it. Um, she says, I seriously need to ask because I've been a Panther fan since birth. Cam Newton was a transcendent player for us fans. Um, what did his teammates love about him? Teammates seem to always be smiling when they talked about him. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think the biggest gift that Cam had is just his presence. You know, his his personality. When Cam was around, when Cam was in the room, you knew it. You felt it. You knew it. You heard him. And you know, I think that was just who he genuinely was. He, he loved the game of football. He loved his teammates. He loved being around the guys. He loved being one. So it just, 
that was what he was. That was just how he was just, it was how he was built. And you know, the thing about cam is he loved to compete. He loved to go out there and perform. He loved to entertain. He loved having the spotlight and he owned it and he cherished it. And it just, it was organic because, and it felt organic and everyone appreciated because it truly was who he was, right? It wasn't some act. It wasn't, you know, that it just came on when the spotlight came on. It just, it was who he was and, and you learned to love him and you appreciated him for, for being what he was. And I've been the first to admit he was one of the best things that ever happened in my career. We had a ton of success together. Um, loved getting to know him off the field, obviously had a lot of success on the field together. And he's just one of those guys. He just had a, you know, just one of those personalities that you couldn't help, but just love and, and gravitate towards. And, you know, at times he'd drive you crazy, but at the end of the day, you loved him because he was, he was genuine. He was a good teammate and the guy loved to compete and he loved to go out and perform. And, um, those are a lot of really good qualities in a quarterback. And they're just a lot of good qualities in a person. You know, he's someone that you enjoyed being around. And I think that's probably the, the best compliment you could give him. It's good stuff. Well, there you heard it first. Cam Newton was transcendent on and off the field. Um, that's all the fan questions we had today. So thank you guys so much for listening and you can submit them on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Greg Olson, or you think. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Tasha. Go orange. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys can continue to rate, review, subscribe wherever you guys get your podcast. Thank you so much for continuing to follow along and listen here on You Think. And uh, we look forward to see you guys next week. 